0: Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John, that you may believe living water. The original date of this message was the 18th of December, 2022. What a blessing it is to, to gather in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And sing praises to him and to one another. And to be reminded of Emmanuel, God with us. Hey, I'll throw this out. If um, Oh, hi, I'm Pastor Jason. <laughs> and if you guys would like to continue to sing, you can come back this evening at 6 o'clock. We're going to have a, a little Christmas caroling going on. And... Um, Yeah, we'd love to have more join in with us. We're gonna go visit some of our folks that uh, have a little bit more difficult time getting out. And we just wanna go and be a blessing to them. And honestly, um, too many people can't show up. So please come and join us. We'll be meeting here at church at six o'clock, leaving about 6.15. We'll kind of do little caravans, cruising around to different people's homes. And it should be an awesome time of fellowship. Singing praise to the Lord and being a blessing to not just folks that are affiliated with RBC, but like we go to an apartment complex and people usually like open their doors and peek their heads out and and listen, and it's just a, a blessing to many folks. Let's get into God's word, huh? Turn with me to John chapter four. I I love this passage of scripture. Because the more I dug into it this last week, the more I saw how well it fits in to Christmas. Because we are talking about our Emmanuel and what we get to see front and center is Jesus' heart. That all would be saved. That Jesus reaches out to everyone. Not just Nicodemus, but here even this this outcast from Samaria, the Samaritan woman, and how God orchestrates everything that Jesus could share with her, how he is living water, and he gives out living water. We are going to spend our morning in John chapter four, verses one to 26. And so if you're wondering, yes, this is a little bit of a buckle your seat in. We are going to to have a wonderful time this morning seeing how the Lord Jesus Christ meets this woman and really how he puts the gospel on display in segments. And that's what we're going to look at, these three different segments. And on New Year's, we'll gather together and we will look at her response and what that looks like as far as witness goes, which plays in so well with what Jer and Kathy shared with us and what we'd love to see all of you come and and join us in this class as well as going out and and witnessing. It'll be a sweet, sweet time. I, I get you a scary time as well, but God's always there to help us through those kinds of times. Therefore, verse one, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus was not baptizing, but his disciples were, He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we need you this morning. We need you as as much as the Samaritan woman at the well needed you. For you are the only place where we can find true satisfaction where we can find rest for our souls. So use your word this morning in our hearts and in our lives. Fill us up with your truth. That we might leave here and go on into this next week. Bearing your message, sharing your good news with others. And if we have not trusted in you, if we have not drunk the living water that you offer this Samaritan woman, may you use this time now to bring those who don't know you to a saving knowledge of you as your gospel goes forth, as your word is proclaimed. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So as we pull back and we look at John chapter 4 and these first 26 verses, what what do we see here in these verses? What would you say? Is this an easy account? What we see here is the same thing that we're going to celebrate a week from now on Sunday. The birth of Jesus Christ. And, and what we see in both of those accounts are things that I, I believe at times we forget. Because we're so familiar. We're familiar with Christmas. We're familiar with Jesus' birth. No doubt we're familiar with this story of Jesus and this woman at the at the well. But really what we see as we unfold this is Jesus does the unexpected. Everything that Jesus does here in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26, goes completely contrary to what would have been the norm, what everyone would expect a good Jew like Jesus to do. And as we pull back and think through Christmas, and as we look at the birth of our Lord, that too is totally unexpected. You would expect Jesus, the Son of God, coming in flesh to be born in a mansion, to be born in a kingdom, a kingdom's palace, right? A king's palace. The nicest place on earth with all the servants attending Mary. And yet what we see, what we'll see next week, what we see here is the unexpected. Jesus doesn't always do the things that you would think you and I would expect him to do. He surprises us. And if you're not surprised by this text this morning in these 26 verses, then the Lord has something to teach you. And if you're looking at Christmas, the way that you look at Christmas every year, and you don't come to this time of year and to this season and to this baby who is unlike any other baby born in this manger... And if you don't come away with wonder and awe over that, then the Lord wants to remind you of something that, that perhaps you've, you've lost with just the gathering with the family. And please don't, don't think that I'm minimizing that. Praise the Lord for opportunities to gather with our families. It's just at times we don't really see that Jesus is surprising us. We tend to think of Jesus maybe like you, you think of Santa Claus that, that, that he's so easy to talk to. And that, that when, when he talks, the, what he says just, just, oh, it rings in your ears and it is so gentle and kind. And yet at times we, we hear and what we're going to see this morning is these words would have not been easy for this woman to hear, but they were the words that she needed to hear. And what Jesus does is something no one else can do in all of creation. That all of humanity has this longing, has this deep desire and this thirst for something better. That is what this is all about as we look at the Samaritan woman this morning. And we could all attest to the fact that we desire for something greater, something better, more fulfilling in our lives. And we look for it in all the wrong places. Because anywhere outside of finding this fulfillment in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ will not satisfy us. It'll leave us longing for more. And then Jesus says to us in this, well, in fact, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And this would be a good verse for you, verses to underline in your Bible. These are so, so sweet. And this is our Emmanuel letting us know. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. This is why he goes the route through Samaria. This is why he stops in the noonday sun when nobody would normally stop there. And goes to the well. Because he's seeking her out. And he wants to impart to her eternal life. And he wants her to drink deeply of this life here. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That's what this woman needs. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Perhaps you're feeling a little weary today. Perhaps as you consider what this next week has to offer, you're not too excited about next Sunday Christmas. That the celebration of Christmas that you used to enjoy so much has has, has disappeared. Why maybe there's a loneliness factor that this reminds you of, that, that somebody that you used to celebrate this time with is no longer among us. Perhaps there's things going on in your life right now that you're going through as a, as a family that, that are going to reveal that, man, this isn't like a normal Christmas for us. There's pain, there's suffering. If, if that is the case, then... Listen to what Jesus does, what Jesus says today. There is hope. There is peace to be found in Jesus. Because what what we see in particular is that Jesus has the answer. That he is the one that can uh, allow all of us to come to this Christmas season and rejoice in him and in him alone. In these verses this morning, we're going to see Jesus gathering one of his sheep. And he does it by by using this this weird place, this well. And using the well and the water, there is an object lesson. Letting her know and all of us this morning... that the only way that she can truly find real fulfillment and satisfaction in this life is not gonna come through this literal water that she has come to the well to get. But, but the only way that she can find satisfaction and true fulfillment in life is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting him as her savior, her sin bearer. And then she will receive this living water eternal life and he does this in 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 three stages in these verses actually there's a fourth stage that we'll look at on january 1st which is her response which is witness we could just look at this as water worship this morning and witness but i want us to look at this as a sort of gospel proclamation, carrying on even with what what Jer and Kathy came up here and and shared, hoping that that maybe this will encourage you as you walk into this next week and the Lord gives you opportunities to share him with others, that you look at it from the perspective of Jesus and how he met this woman. And that God in his providence and his goodness orchestrated everything to happen exactly the way that this happens. Just like he's going to orchestrate whatever you're going to come in up against this particular week. And he's going to bring someone to you. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to share Jesus with them like Jesus shared himself with her? First, we're going to see living water is declared. Second, we're going to see living water is to be desired. And third, we're going to see living water is given. Living water declared to everyone. He does more than just offer water to her, literal water or asking her for water. He declares that everyone needs to know that he is the Savior, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. He makes a declaration, not just to the Samaritan woman, but to the entire world. I am the living water of eternal life. Come and drink for me. And the backdrop is given for us in the first six verses. Where we see that, as we remember from last week, that, that Jesus and John the Baptist were baptizing in pretty much the same area. And so they began competing And John's disciples weren't excited about it because Jesus was becoming more and more popular, more popular than John. Now we're, now we hear that the Pharisees heard about this as well. And as they hear about this, we're not certain exactly what the reason is, but as, as this becomes known, Jesus then decides, okay, we need to leave Judea and we need to travel up North. We need to go to Galilee. We need to get out of this vicinity. We need to stop this interaction and, this friction that's happening. And so then we see that they travel, that he travels. And you could just fly through this if you don't understand the history behind this and not think of this as as very significant. But if you understand the history and the geography, man, this is huge. Why? Because there's three different ways to get from Judea to Galilee. You can take the west route. You can take the east route. You could go across the Jordan River and then you can walk all that way. Remember there's, there's not airplanes during this time. There's not buses you can catch like you can today. And if you're going to go that direction, it would, it would take you five to seven days. You can go a different route that's on, on the west. That would take you seven to ten days. We're talking a long time to get from point A to point B. Or what you could do if you wanted to take a shortcut, but this was dangerous. Literally, this was dangerous, and this was something that wasn't looked on as a good and wise decision for a God-fearing Jew. What you could do is you could go right through the middle of Samaria, and you could take that central route. And if you did that, it would only only take you three days. The problem is, is the relationship that had been established between the Samaritans and the Jews was not a good one. They did not like each other at all. All, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. They did not get along. And this stems all the way back to Israel's history. Back to the Assyrians coming in and taking captive the northern kingdom. And if you'll remember what happened there as they were taken away. They brought in, the Assyrians did, other nations, Gentiles. And then what the Jews did at that point, these Samaritans, they started intermingling. They started marrying other people groups. And then they became known as the half-breeds. What intensified this was what happened in the south, and in Judah, who was also captured or overcome by the Babylonians in 586. And as that happened, they too were taken But instead of intermingling, they didn't do any of that. They stayed true to Yahweh and true to their Jewish faith. Well, then fast forward and the Lord frees them. And then they're going back to Jerusalem. And they want to rebuild the temple. And do you know what happens? These Samaritan Jews, they come and they say, hey, we'll help you rebuild. And they say, absolutely not. No, you guys are half-breeds. You guys haven't been faithful. And that's where all of this begins and it continues to get worse and worse. And so they, the Samaritans actually build their own temple, Mount Gerizim, which happens to be right at the base of where this well is. So as you're at this well, you can look up and you can see this mountain. You can see where they would be worshiping. And to make matters even more complicated, all they believed that was the Holy Scripture of the Old Testament, the the canon of the Old Testament, they didn't believe it in what we have as the canon. They said it stopped at Moses, and after that, it wasn't true. All they believed in was the Pentateuch. On top of that, there were battles that would go on. The Jews actually went over and destroyed their temple later. There's all sorts of things that, that were happening that they believed that if you had any kind of interaction with the Samaritans, you became impure, unclean. So even if you did go through Samaria, you couldn't eat food that was given to you by a Samaritan. That would make you unclean. So you had to be very careful in how you presented yourself and how you acted as you were going through Samaria. If you even chose to go that way, which most Jews wouldn't. All of this is the backdrop for Jesus choosing to go the direction that they went. I believe it goes even further. I believe that Jesus knew that he was going to meet this woman and that if all of his band was with him, that she wouldn't have said anything to him. So he tells them to go further. And they come to the well. Verse 6. And notice what we hear about Jesus Christ. That he is what? Tired. That he is weary. That he was what? Like us. That he was human. That he, like you and I, would get tired over time. It was asked me this last week, hey, Jason, do you believe that Jesus cried as a baby? Because we sing this song and it says that he, that, that he doesn't cry. And I said, yes, I believe Jesus cried because it's not a sin to cry. And so Jesus never sinned. But everything that we do as as humans, he went through. And he was dependent upon Mary just as we would be dependent upon our moms. And what do babies do when when their, their diaper gets full? They cry. When they get hungry, they cry. So yes, I'm assuming that Jesus did indeed cry. And so he gets tired and he sits down just like you and I. This should be an encouragement to us all. Why? And this should also be a reminder that who we are celebrating this Christmas was 100% man, just like us, that he'd get tired just as you and I get tired. And what he's really there for is an opportunity to share with this Samaritan woman how to receive eternal life. And how to be forever changed by drinking this living water. And so what we see is Jesus makes this declaration. This living water is declared to everyone. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for her. And I'm sure that he would have rather not had this conversation. That he would have rather gone on with his disciples. But he knew that the Lord had this plan for him. That God the Father, it was his will. And Jesus is going to give us what I want to call five insights on sharing the gospel. As we look at this passage. This is on top of the outline. So you can put this wherever you want them. But I believe these are helpful. This first insight that we get from Jesus is this. Be committed to sharing about Christ no matter how tired you are. We can always come up with a thousand excuses. You're probably already thinking them through as to why you can't come to the class on evangelism that we're going to have. But isn't it funny and isn't it true that the Lord uses us in those kinds of times when we're tired and we think that, oh, this isn't going to be anything. The times when, when, when my sermons seem to be most impactful is when I'm totally unaware of them. And I think, oh my word, that was, that, that was a, a bad explosion in the wrong way. I was all over the place. And yet God meets someone through his word being proclaimed. You see, God wants to use us in spite of us. And oftentimes when we're tired, that's a good place to be because we have to depend upon him. And then we see this and all that's the backdrop for verse seven. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. There is so much significance in what is happening here. The fact that Jesus even talks to her. You didn't talk to a woman as a Jewish guy. As a rabbi, no, you, you would become so disrespected, you could lose your job, so to speak, as a rabbi, by talking to a woman. They wouldn't even talk to their wives or their daughters. And some of them were called this, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Do you know why? Because when they saw a woman, they'd close their eyes and they'd walk into walls and all sorts of other things because they didn't want to see a woman, so they'd be all bruised and beaten. Why? Because they wanted to look so righteous. Yeah, try that. It's not going to go well. That's the background to Jesus sitting here and speaking to this woman. But on top of that, think about the history of the nation of Israel and all the godly men and where they met their wives. Moses? Isaac? Well, it wasn't so much Isaac, but the man sent for him, right, by his dad, Abraham. Where, where Where did he find her? It was at the well. So just this whole location is a place that, that you would say, it's, 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 it, it makes you think of, wow, are you going to marry her? That's not his intention at all. He wants to rock her world, but not by proposing to her, by offering, giving her this. What? Living water. Man, I want to see your life become nothing like you think it can become. So it was noon. That's significant too. Why? Because nobody comes to the well at noon. Jesus is there, and I I believe he's there intentionally waiting for her. And he didn't bring his little bag with a rope attached to it that you'd normally use to get water out of a well. And this is a deep well. Most believe 100 feet deep. It's, It's long. But he didn't bring that. He let the other guys take that. Why? Because he wants to pull her in. And he wants to engage her, and he wants to engage her not on small talk, but on spiritual talk that would minister to her soul. Not easy talk, but the talk that she needed that was pointing to him. So he goes against the cultural norm. He does the complete opposite of what would normally be expected for a godly Jew. Jew. All with the intentionality of letting, I would say not just this woman, but all of Samaria, including his disciples and the entire world. Hey, I desire that all would be saved. That you're never too gone for Jesus to save you. So he risks even this provocative situation that he could have been accused of possibly flirting or, or whatever. And, and as she comes, you got to believe that the last thing she would ever see was a person there at the well. And then a man, and then she knows he's Jewish. Because of the way she responds in verse 9, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? What are you doing Not only what are you doing here, but why are you talking to me? This is so wrong. And yet she talks to him. See, it worked both ways. It wasn't just that the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And neither one wanted to have interaction. And in this, you're going the wrong way in a couple different directions. And so she can't really get her bearing, but there's something about this man. And this is who we share others with. Hey, don't think when you proclaim the gospel and you preach the gospel to someone that it's about you, it's about him. So you just give them Jesus and let that be what changes everything. Let him be what changes everything. And if you don't know where else to go, you just go back to Jesus. Hey, I don't even know how to answer your question, but you know what? Jesus died upon the cross for sin. Have you heard of that? She comes alone. Why? Because I think she's been battered, bruised, beaten by all the other women in town. You know this was half a mile away from town and there was a well in Sichar. She didn't have to come here. Jesus didn't have to be here. This didn't make any sense. Unless you look at it from God's perspective and God's will that God desires that all would be saved. And yes, the Samaritan woman. And on top of that, think of this weird dynamic. She's thinking, aren't I going to make you impure? Because he doesn't have anything to to fill up water with. So not only is he asking her for a drink, he's asking her for her drink. That she's going to lower down there and pull up. and, And most of these, they weren't bottles, they were like leather pouches that she's handled and touched, and then she's going to hand that to Jesus, that's wrong again in, in, in a million different ways. And so she's thinking, oh, man, I'm gonna, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to make you impure. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to make you pure. That, that's what I do. That's who I am. Don't you understand, daughter? That's why I'm here. Man, I would have loved to have been there and seen this the compassion, the love of our Savior. And, and, and we complain that we have to sit out for an extra five minutes and, and, and talk to someone because they brought up a conversation with us that is clearly an opportunity to share Christ. And it's cold. Or you fill in the blanks. And, and, and Jesus, what is he doing? He's, he's going to these great lengths all so that this woman might drink from the well. She has no idea what kind of water he's talking about. Then Jesus says this. Look at his response. And notice, just like Nicodemus, his response to her isn't an answer to her question. Because if he responded and like, then he would get into the details between the Samaritans and the, and the Jews. But he doesn't even go there. And, and this would be our second insight into the gospel. Stay on target. Don't get distracted. Don't follow into rabbit trails that people like to throw out as you're sharing the gospel. No, just stay on the gospel. Man, sin, salvation, just stay there. And every time direct them to either man, sin, or salvation, and then you will get them home, so to speak, but God will do the work. Notice what he says in in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Hey, you think this is just about that well and the water that we're gonna get out of there? You think I'm just talking about a gallon of water? No, daughter, I'm talking about so much more than that. But she's ignorant. She doesn't understand what he means by gift. The gift of God is what? That's God's grace. And is there any end to the grace of God? I don't even think this comparison of this one gallon or whatever, I don't know how much they hold of water with all of the oceans is a comparison that we should really make of God's grace. It knows no bounds. And the, the water in the ocean has a limit. I don't know what that is, but it has a limit. God's grace has no limit. And that's what he's expressing to her. If you knew the gift of God, grace, not only the the giver of the gift, but that you knew the gift itself, neither of which do you understand. You don't know who's talking to you. She didn't know what he came to bring, which is the gift of eternal life. When, she, when he says living water, her mind is going to go in exactly a certain di- direction. It's going to go away from this well, this stagnant water. It's kind of sitting there. and Yes, it does. It comes up, but it doesn't come all the way up to the top of the well. So that would be like grade C, level water. When he says living water, he is talking about an underground stream. Have have you ever tapped into one of those? In our village, we found one. In Papua New Guinea. Changed a whole lot in our village. Why? Because when water gets low, and it barely ever got low, but when it gets low, hepatitis shows up. Why? Because they're drinking from that river. And yet they're using that river for you know what. And as that excrement and that urine comes down, it can get you sick. So if you can find another water source, praise Jesus. And then you can tap into that. And then you have an unending source of water. That's the picture here. That water that you could get hepatitis from or this water that is never ending and that is cold and sweet that I remember the whole village running to and being so excited about. It didn't last long because somebody got upset and broke this and broke that. As man is. But, but the picture here is that. And she would hear this and, 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 and go, what? But she'd also have this understanding. She'd have an Old Testament understanding that would stop short. Turn, turn with me to Jeremiah. This is such a good passage because this is how God describes himself in God's word. This whole aspect of this word living water is used to describe God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. It's used also in Acts, and we'll go there next, to see the Holy Spirit. That is what is being pictured. That is who Jesus is speaking of when he speaks of living water. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. This is what God says to his chosen people Israel. He says this, for my people have committed two evils, two wrong things against me, First, they've forsaken me. They've turned away from me. But look at what he calls himself. They've turned away from me, the fountain of living waters. That is who I am. I am the eternal one that gives eternal life. Seen in these living waters to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've turned to something else. God substitutes. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to fill their life up with that. And any way that they can, just ask some of the, the rock stars of today. Some of the professional athletes who have everything imaginable. And do you know what you'll find? They want more. And they're searching for more and more and more and more. That is what Jesus is saying to her. Daughter, do you understand what I'm offering you? This gift, this grace. Okay, turn with me to Acts. Acts 2. Verse 38, we saw this when we went through the book of Acts, but think about it in terms of what Jesus is saying to this woman and the gift that he talks about in this living water. It is speaking of the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Excuse me, And you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. That is who Jesus is talking about. That is who Jesus is referring to. He's he's taking us back to Nicodemus. And that you must be born again. And how can you be born again? Well, you can't because you're of the earth. But if something else comes or someone, as in the person of the Holy Spirit comes, he changes everything. All because of the son. And what he has done in the act of redemption. That is what Jesus is getting at. What this woman needed is what we all need, something that gives us spiritual life. Something that takes away our sinful, spiritually dead souls and breathes new spiritual life into them, making them new. We need living water from Jesus. And yet her response, it reminds us of Nicodemus. She's still staying in the literal. She says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. What's going on in the well is deep. Where do you... Get that living water. And she takes a little jab at him. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank for it, or drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Hey, what are you talking about? You don't have anything to draw this water from, even if I was interested in it. And then she takes a more spiritual turn and says, but you're not greater than Jacob. That What's implied is, you're not greater than Jacob. And what Jesus actually answers is, I'm not only greater than Jacob, I'm greater than Moses. I'm greater than, than all that have come before me. I am the one. I am the Savior who we're going to find out at the end. She's been waiting for. She just doesn't know enough about him because she's only functioning in the Pentateuch. And then look at how Jesus responds to her. Going back to John chapter 4. Jesus answered and said to her, again, he, she, she doesn't get, he doesn't get into Jacob and who is greater and this and that. Instead, he says, everyone who drinks of the water will thirst again. Uh, I'm sorry. Everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well water. Hey, if all that you're thinking about is this, you need to expand your mind and understand that I am dealing with Eternity here. That's what I'm trying to share with you. But the water that I will give them will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It will never end. It will go on for all of eternity. This water that I am offering you that will change your life forever and it will continue to change your life forever. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will indwell you. This is a good third lesson on sharing the gospel. Give them hope let them know how much better your life is now not that it's perfect but that you have hope beyond this life and that you have something to live for now that goes beyond anything that you can see and that gives you true fulfillment in all that you do and all that you go through it would seem from what she says in verse 15 that jesus's words are beginning to do what he intended them to do, to convict her of sin, which is our our next point. Living water desired only under conviction of sin. You don't want this water if you don't think that you need this water. And if you think that you can keep filling up your life with all these other things, you're not going to come to Jesus. You're not going to care about Jesus. And so that's what we see in verse 15. Verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor, nor come all the way here to draw. Again, we see this This was not an easy thing for her to do to come to this well. She wants to be lifted of the burden that, that she's been bearing. But she's certainly not gonna come out and tell him about all the guys. She's letting him know, man, I want help. Please give me some help. But she's still missing the fact that... that What he's trying to deal with is her heart. That in the human heart of all people, there's a thirst for something that can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. I would have loved to seen this woman's faces. He responds the way that he responds. Again, not responding in like to what she just said. Instead, he goes for the jugular and he goes right after her. Does this seem kind? Is this your picture of Jesus? Does this surprise you? This should surprise you. I'm not saying this is the way all of us should minister to others and evangelize. But at times, maybe we need to come out more and just say, man, is is what you're doing right now really working for you? Because that's where Jesus goes. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. And he waits. We know that he's talking about real people because he's like, go bring them. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, and I wonder how quickly his response happened. Did he just let it settle there in the air for a while? Or if he right away just came right to her and said, you've correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Who could know what he knows about her? He's not from her town. He's from a different place. She's never seen him before. He is God. And he knows everything about you. Everything about your past that you never told anyone. And yet, what is so amazing about this is that Jesus still graciously extends the declaration of the gospel to her, and this eternal life in the living water. He says, drink, believe in me. Man, I know you. I know everything that you've been through, and you can't run out of my grace. Go oh, to see this. Consider the example of who Jesus ministers to, just in these first four chapters of John, and the wide range of people, right? And he he's so much not like me. I, I need to learn from Jesus. Why? Because on the one hand, he, he ministers to Nicodemus late at night. And he says, It's okay. I know, I know I was just getting ready to go to bed, but it's okay. Hey, let's have this conversation. Why? Because I care about your soul. And I want you to join with me for all of eternity and be one of mine. So yes, come. Come, my sheep. And he's what? Like the epitome of religious. He's the epitome of educated. I'd say he's quite wealthy. Do you know who the Samaritan woman is? She's the complete opposite of all of that. She's she's a half-breed. She's, I'm assuming, uneducated. She's as immoral as you can be, and yet he's got time for her. No, he makes time for her. He waits for her. How about you? What does it look like for you as you minister to others? How about Sundays? Sundays? It's easy for us to go to those that we already have a relationship with. What, what about those that you don't? Man, praise the Lord for the relationships that we do have. And I am not saying by any stretch of the imagination that there aren't some that should be our tight circle. Jesus had a tight circle and then like a really tight circle. But he ministered to everyone. And yet at times what I think is, oh, nope, that, I'm sorry. That guy's got too many tats for me. I'll go, I'll go to this guy. Or that person, the way they dress. No, I, I I think I'll go to this guy. Jesus wasn't like that at all, and and we shouldn't be like that either. That that's been a challenge for me as I've considered and just spent time in this passage. Jesus is trying to get this woman to see her utter sinfulness and her need for a new start and a savior, a helper. She needs a spiritual transformation. She needs to be reborn. She needs to be remade. And so what is he doing? He's, he's calling her out. And no doubt those words would have hit her like a brick. An instant reminder of the fact that her life was really a train wreck. And everything that she tried before really hadn't worked when it came to men. Having been married five times. Think of all the failures and all of the falling short again and again and again. And and there, there has to be a sudden sense of sin. You can see it in the way that she responds. So here's the fourth lesson in sharing the gospel. Give them a sense of their sin. Let them know that you are a sinner and they are one as well. But don't just tell them that. Bring them to that. That's what's so cool about way of the master and, and, there, and there's other ways to share the gospel. but way the master and, and what Jer will, will teach is that you use the Ten Commandments. And all of us, we recognize that we don't measure up to them. You, you don't have to get past, do you lie? And if they're actually honest, they, they get it. Yes, I, I, I'm a liar. So we have to deal with sin. And we pray that under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they would be convicted of sin. But I wonder if it actually goes deeper with her. That Jesus is letting her know in very practical ways that her pursuit in life to be happy through chasing after marriage after marriage after marriages is not where fulfillment and satisfaction are going to come from. The only way that she will really be able to meet this deep need that she has is through the one who created her. What she doesn't know is that the one who created her became a man and that he's right there talking to her. How cool is this? And so then she responds, as you and I would if we were living in this time, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. He's more than that. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Then she turns it into worship. Our fathers, we we can tell she's under conviction. Now she's wondering, okay, what do I do with this? You people, you Jews, you say, I'm I'm, I'm supposed to worship here in Jerusalem. My people, us Samaritans, we say, no, no, we're going to worship here at our place. But but where do I worship? Where do I take my sin? What do I do with it? How do I worship? And Jesus responds, "It's It's not how you worship, it's not where you worship. It's who you come to. And I am here to take all that from you. And, and this would have rocked anybody's world if they were religious at all, including the, the Jews, if they had listened to what Jesus is saying. Because he's saying, you, you know what? The temple doesn't, doesn't do it. And this over here at Garrison, this, this doesn't do it either. The only one that you can come to to have your sins fully forgiven And to gain eternal life is in me, is in me because I am the Messiah. And that's why he says, woman, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know because they're ignorant because they only had the, the Pentateuch. We worship what we know. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He's letting her know, hey, you, you guys are uninformed. You guys don't have all the truth. You don't know all the story. What you need to understand is what I am telling you. I am telling you truth. And the only way that we can worship God is in truth and in spirit. And then he says in God's spirit. Which is oh so telling, especially right now in the time of year that we're in. Why? Because if God hadn't become flesh, we would never be able to know what or who he is. And if he hadn't revealed himself in scripture, we wouldn't know. Because he's invisible. That's what that means. But by his wonderful grace, he has made himself known to us. Being the ultimate revealer of himself. And so then we come to the final point. Living water is given only through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says in response to the woman who says, hey, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Notice that in most likely in your bible that he is italicized that's because it's not in the original in the greek there is no pronoun in the greek literally what it says in the greek is i who speak to you am period and this this woman would have known what he's getting at he's getting at what we're going to see in john 858 where Jesus clearly identifies himself as God as Yahweh as he says this truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am I am the all sufficient one I'm the pre-existing one I am the I am I have existed forever and now I am here in flesh I am the savior Implied will you believe Will you trust me? And we're going to see in a couple weeks what her response is. The question for us all this morning is what is your response to what Jesus says here? Are you worshiping him as the Savior? Let me pray for us as the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we, we stop and we thank you so much for your word and the truth that it contains. We thank you for a savior that does the unexpected. We thank you for your wonderful plan of redemption, and salvation that is extended out to the entire world. Yes, the Samaritans. Yes, the Jews and even to us. And we are so thankful that you have saved us and that we know what the true meaning is christmas that you are the emmanuel lord jesus you are god with us we thank you for that reminder as we've seen it this morning in john chapter 4 and this woman at the well and we pray that you would use us as we go out from here today into this coming up week that we would honor you in all that we do that we would remember you for who you are and all your greatness and your majesty, Lord, and that we would look even at this as totally unexpected, that you, the God of the universe, who created everything, became man, lived a perfect life and then died upon a cross so that we might believe in you and receive this living water that knows no end. And it's in your name, your wonderful name that is above all other names, the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen.